a crime scene at Legacy Church. Yes, it is the truth. Okay, Pastor, you threw my st- throw those down there. All right, now today I am not Pastor Tracy Baird. I am CSI Tracy Baird, crime scene investigator. All right? You ever notice how they say that? They don't say like detective, Callie Duquesne. They say, hello, I'm CSI Callie Duquesne. Okay, so I'm CSI Tracy Baird today. All right, so I'm here because there are crimes that are being committed in your life. And today, we are going to investigate those and find out how to get it stopped. Have you, how many of you people love mysteries? I am a mystery fan. How, okay, everybody who's over 45, raise your hand. Girls especially. Okay, girls over 45. Do you remember Saturday afternoons after American Bandstand, which, by the way, my father did not know I was watching, and Soul Train, then came, then came... Hardy Boys Mysteries, Sean Cassidy, and what's his name? Uh, 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 St- uh, Parker Stevenson. There you go. He was so cute. How many, how many remember Nancy Drew Mysteries? Okay, everybody, I still watch this on Hallmark Channel. Murder, she wrote. Yes. Angela Lansbury. All right. Okay, but today, some of my favorite shows are... CSI Miami, now you kind of got to watch it. Some weeks you can watch it, some weeks you can't. You can know it about the first minute or two. You might have to turn it, okay? So don't everybody go home and say, oh, she watches that? Oh. Okay, you have to kind of watch it. But my favorite, all-time favorite, all-time favorite is The Closer. How many watch The Closer, man? Shoo! Dep- Deputy Chief Brenda Lee Johnson from Atlanta, Georgia. All right, and then last season of Monk. Monk. Monk is the man. Last weekend, Pastor Noah and I were watching Monk, and we have some detective skills, do we not, Noah? We had got that thing figured out. All right. But let me tell you, I have done some very much research on all these shows, and I've come up with a theme for today. There is a question that is asked in every detective show ever. When a crime is committed in a house or in an office building, The question that everybody asks, Horatio, Brenda Lee Johnson, and Adrian Monk, they all ask the same question, and that is, where was the point of entry? Or are there any signs of forced entry? Is that not true? Isn't that the question they ask? Because you see, there is very rarely a crime ever committed without a point of entry. You know what else makes a really good mystery? It's when you don't know who did it. See, Columbo, man, Columbo ruined it for me. Because Columbo would always show you who did it, and then the rest of the show is him trying to, you know, get them to admit it. See, I don't like that. I don't like that. I like it when the assailant is a surprise. Now, make sure you understand. They will introduce you to the assailant early on in the show. You will see that person, especially like on CSI. They'll show you somebody. Then they don't, then they, you know, they'll show you to you about halfway through the show. And, and so they're showing you all these people. And then at the very end, it comes back around to almost the very first person you see in the show is actually the one that did it. So be watching that from now on. <laughs> so what I want to help you do today is identify the assailants right now that are in your, world, in your life, because I'm telling you, we all have them. We all have crimes that are being committed in our lives, and we're going to figure it out, because, you know, the enemy is our, is our assailant. He is the perpetrator, but he isn't the one that always comes. Sometimes he brings his gang. See, he has last night, last night, perfect example, I was watching Closer. You know, you can rent these at the, at the library, 
So I was like having my own closer marathon last night, okay? And on one of these, see this woman, she didn't do the dirty work herself. She hired somebody to do it. Well, see, that's what Satan does. Satan, you know, most of us are not really important enough to have the devil himself dealing with us, okay? Normally, it's like one of his demons. One of his gang members is doing the work for him, and that was what was happening last night. But in every situation, they have a point of entry. And like that song said, don't get fooled again. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to stop getting fooled, and I'm going to help you. Now, some of you are saying, oh, hold it. I thought Pastor said you were going to be continuing in his series on rethink. What's this got to do with rethinking? Well, I'll tell you how. Because in, rethinking involves every area of your life. You see, we've got to look in every area and rethink the way we've been doing things. Renewing our minds isn't just in one area. That's where most of us make the mistake. We focus in on one area, and the enemy slips in through the back door. Okay? So we can't just wait around until the enemy is in the house and has stolen everything from us before we come up with the plan. So this morning we're coming up with the plan. Pastor and I do quite a bit of counseling, and the saddest thing about, about it is usually people don't come until it's fallen apart. Until they're about two weeks from kicking one of them out of the house. <laughs> or before they're about one month from going bankrupt. You see, that's not the way we need to do it. Wouldn't it be so awesome, Pastor, if people would come in and go, you know, Pastor, we're not real sure, but we think we might just have this little weak spot here in our marriage, and we just wanted to come on in and get some counsel from you right now before this thing got any more serious. Let me just tell you, what is the reason why people don't do that? Ah, you guys are so smart. See, you're detectives already. That's right, pride. Pride is what keeps us from getting help, and the enemy is out there in the bushes, in the bushes behind your house going, ooh, I hope they don't go for help. I so hope they don't go for help because I am waiting out here. I'm going to bust through that door here in a minute, and they're going to be in trouble. All right. Last week, let's go back to what Pastor preached on last week, which was Mark 11, 20 through 24. Uh, Jerry's going to go ahead and put the verses up there. Remember, this is the story where Jesus and his disciples were going uh, on a journey, and Jesus was hungry. Or as Creflo would say, Jesus was hungry. <laughs> and uh, he was hungry, and he saw a fig tree. Now, the fig tree had leaves on it, which, for those of you who didn't know, a fig tree gets the fruit before it gets the leaves. And so if it had leaves, it should have had fruit. So he walks over there, and it doesn't have any. So he gets mad. Jesus got mad. And he cursed the fig tree. So they go about their way, come back the next day. We pick it up right here. It says, now in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering what Jesus had said, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be moved, uh, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. So pastor told us last week that we have to say it and we have to not doubt. Now, let me tell you what happened to me sitting right down here last, last Sunday morning. Just a minute ago, I thought you were going to start preaching my message, okay? I thought Noah was going to preach it Wednesday night and now you started preaching it this morning. We have to come with anticipation. 
We have to come with expectation. Let me tell you, I'm married to this man. I live with him all week. But when I walk through the doors of that church, I switch in my mind. He is no longer Kevin, my husband. He is Pastor Baird, my pastor. So I come in here, I sit on that front row, I get my notebook out, and I take notes on him, just like all of you should be taking notes on him. Because I come with expectation that something that the Lord has given him that's going to come out of his mouth is going to change me. You understand? So if you say, well, I don't ever get any revelation. My question to you this morning is, do you come with expectation? Okay. So I came with expectation. I'm sitting down there. And uh, I'd been kind of running through this. Of course, I knew I was going to speak today, so all that was on my mind. And uh, many of you know that I am a sanguine personality. You can tell from me being up here already that I'm outgoing. I'm talkative. I'm animated with my hands. I can't talk with my hands tied behind my back. Um, when I worship, I'm all out. You know, I'm doing the motions to the song and the whole bit, you know. Uh, but when it comes to spiritual things, I am very, very serious. I am prophetically motivated. Man, black is black and white is white. Sin is sin and hell is hot. And I ain't fooling around. And people that fool around tick me off. Okay? And so some of you probably have seen that in me and you're like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. And so I was sitting down there and last Sunday... Uh, I was thinking about preaching today, and I, always, and I always think, I always think, how am I going to come across? Because I know I'm pretty, mm, when I get up here. You know, I'm pretty serious. And, uh, and pastor said this quote, somebody has to ask why. And I remember writing that in my notes, and the Holy Spirit said, that's you. You see, Tracy, that thing in you that says black is black and white is white, man, that's like Brenda Lee Johnson on the closer, man. I am going in for the kill. I'm going to figure this thing out. I am the detective. You see, I make a great detective. And this is how I look at spiritual things. You see, I look at that verse, 11, 20 through 24. Let's put that back up there, Jerry. And if it's, I look at this, this is what I read. If I say it, my pastor says, if I say it and I believe it and I know that I am not doubting. Okay, you got that? I say it, I believe it, I'm not doubting it. And then I consistently keep saying it and not doubting it. And then if it doesn't happen in my life, you see something in me goes, what's the deal with that? And let me tell you what most people do and what even entire denominations have done. When they don't see something in the Bible happening anymore in their life, they just go, oh, well, that must not be for today. Or that must not be of God. We used to be in a denomination like that. Well, you know, we don't see the gifts moving anymore. So, oh, well, that's just of the devil. Bless God, we don't do that in this church. That's wrong. What you need to do at that point is you need to drop your pride. And you need to say, there must be something wrong with me. Because the Bible is true. Do we believe that the Bible is inerrant? That it is the whole word of God and it's alive and it's true for today? Okay, if we believe that and the Bible isn't happening in our life, then there ain't something wrong with the Bible. And there ain't something wrong with God, and there ain't nothing wrong with the Holy Spirit. There's something wrong with me. All right? That's what a detective does. And so today I am here to detect in our lives, including mine. Believe me, I've already been at the altar this week, so don't think that this hadn't affected me. And we're going to see why what we believe and what we preach isn't happening. All right. Thankfully, the answer to this is in the very next verse. Verses 25 and 26 of Mark chapter 11 says, And whenever you stand praying, 
If you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. Now with all that in mind, set that over to the side for a second, and let's go on. Let's get back to this entry point discussion. Somewhere the enemy has gotten in, right? Every crime scene. Ephesians 4.27 is our next verse. It says, do not give place to the devil. In some versions it says, do not give an entry point to the devil. One of the entry points that the enemy like to act, likes to access in probably everyone's life in this room are relationships. Now listen real carefully and how many, raise your hands if you agree with this statement. Relationships are the joy of my life, and relationships are the frustration of my life. <laughs> All right, it's the truth. Our family, our co-workers, our neighbors, even our little precious legacy church family, that little person sitting right at y'all look at the person next to you and go, sometimes you frustrate me. <laughs> I love you, but sometimes you tick me off. Okay. You know, we love them, but is it not true? Sometimes you want to send them on to be with Jesus, right? Okay, okay, that's the truth. I'm like, you know, I love you. This is so funny. My daddy's going to listen to this tape. This is so true. We used to always say about our neighbors next door, Lord, if they ever get saved, just let's go ahead and shoot them. We'll ask forgiveness later because they won't make it 30 days, okay? We've got we to gotta get them saved and then just go ahead and take them on to be with Jesus, okay? All right. Okay. But... You see, what happens is when we have unresolved issues in our relationships, these conflict points become entry points for the enemy. Another paraphrase of Ephesians 4.27, I think, I don't know if sure it was a paraphrase or a translation, but it says, do not give a foothold to your enemy, the devil. Now, we've all seen the security security company commercials on TV or like a detective show, ding dong, the woman opens the door and the assailant is right there. He puts his foot in the door and she tries to slam it in his door, you know, split the door, and so he busts on in. Remember those commercials? You know what I'm talking about? Now here's the question. When the assailant gets in the house, does he stay in the foyer? He doesn't, does he? He has now gained access into every room every closet, every valuable, and every person in that house. They are all now at risk because the enemy, the assailant, the perpetrator, has gained access into your house. Now let's go back to Ephesians 4.27 one more time. Do not give place to the devil. Now I'm going to really impress you here. I live with a man who knows Greek. Are you ready? The Greek word <laughs> for place is the word topos, T-O-P-O-S, topos. It means a specific marked off geographical area, like a region or a district. That's where we get the word topography, which is the study or the making of maps. Okay, marked off areas, topography. So when Paul said, do not give topos to the enemy, He's saying, do not allow him to come into your life and mark off geographical areas and take them as his own. 
That's pretty powerful, isn't it, when you really stop and you think about that? Now, I can't imagine that there's anybody here at Legacy today going, yeah, well, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I know better. Let me tell you, if you come to Legacy Church, you're pretty serious. Okay, you are one tough cookie if you come to this church, okay? So I don't believe that any of us, me included, do that on purpose. You see, the enemy is good at what he does. He has some great tactical schemes. He confuses us, and he convinces us that he is a guest in our house. You tell us, he's not a guest. He's an invader, all right? And so some of you are saying, okay, well, I believe what you're saying, okay, but, but how do I do that? I mean, if, if I'm marking off areas in my life, I don't want to do that anymore, so tell me how do I stop doing that? Okay, well, let me tell you how you do it first, and then I'll get to how you stop doing it. How you do it, this one word, I'm going to say one word, but it's got many facets. It's got many faces. Um, it's got many tentacles off this one word. But the one word is this, offense. Offense. We get offended. And let me tell you, pastor was up here a minute ago, and he was talking about your destiny and how if we don't tithe and we don't do this, that we, it robs us of our destiny. Well, let me tell you, offense is a destiny robber. Because I'm going to explain to you, I'm telling you, when you let offense in the door, he does not stay in the foyer. Now, let me give you some examples of this. Pastor also told us, remember, in rethinking, in rethinking, we have to think about what we're thinking about. And most of us don't do that. Most of us live life, and then when we come to church on Sunday, we go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I get that. But then we, well, then we forget to rethink and think about what we're thinking about all week long. One time this week, something happened, Kevin goes, okay, I, I, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about. And I was like, yeah, yeah, good, 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 okay. So we have to think about that. You have, and you have to stop, you have to think to think about what you're thinking about. Okay? You, some, some of you, especially men, love you all, okay? But men don't think about it. You guys get in those little compartments, okay? Women, we're like spaghetti, we're thinking about it all. Okay, but men, you might need to put a little post-it on your desk or on the dashboard. Think about what you're thinking about, okay? All right. Take it for what it's worth, Okay. How many married people we got in the room today? Raise your hand. Okay, how about some people who used to be married? <laughs> You'll really understand this one. Okay, um, we get mad at our spouse. Okay, and I'm thinking, we're talking about offense. Now we're really rethinking it here. We get mad at our spouse. We say some mean things. But you know what? We're not going to say we're sorry. You know what? I always say I'm sorry. It's his turn to say sorry. I'm, I'm tired of saying I'm sorry. So let me tell you what happens. When you disagreed and you started to raise your voice, that was Satan knocking at the door. Now, when you proceeded to start name-calling, or maybe you use a few extra words in there that we don't use in church, <laughs> you have then at that point propped open the door for the enemy. But when you say, you know what, you can just kiss my hiney, I ain't saying I'm sorry this time. And yes, I did say kiss my hiney on tape. <laughs> you have at that point just invited the enemy to come on in the house. You understand? You understand offense. When, see, we all argue. Everybody that's married argues. But it's when we say, I'm offended. I am so mad at you right now. And we refuse to say we're sorry. And we refuse to make up. That's when the enemy rushes in the door. None of us are going to be perfect. 
But it's the choices that we make that let him in. Here's another example. When you get corrected, I'm not just talking about kids down here. I'm talking about adults. When we get corrected, even gently, or if someone gets, gives us some constructive criticism as to how we can do our jobs better, or even maybe how we could do our jobs better at church. We may not say it, but when we walk out, we're thinking, you know what? Fine. Let them see how they can do without me. Big jerks. I'm telling you, I've been, I've been doing that for how many years now? Let's just see how good they can do it without me. When you do that, you have literally marked off territory in your life and given the enemy legal access. You understand? You have given him legal access. He is no longer the perpetrator. You propped the door open and he came in and you're like, here, go on in. I'm going to give you a lot more illustrations here in just a minute, but you know what the real problem is? The problem is that we think he's going to stay in the foyer. We think that the thing that got us mad, let's just say, not, not that this would ever happen, that Novi and I got mad at each other. It ain't ever happened, it ain't ever going to. But anyway, let's pretend we got mad at each other and that we had a little mm. And we said a mm a couple of things in the foyer of the church. Mm. And, um, and we leave and I think, you know what? I love Novi, but you know, so she won't talk to me for a couple of weeks. Big deal. We think the enemy's going to stay right there. He doesn't stay. He begins to now maneuver through our entire life. Let's go back to that marriage illustration. So you say, okay, I'm going to use women as an example. Men don't get all haughty. <laughs> Only because I am one. And we'll say, fine. Fine, I'm mad at my husband. You're darn right I'm mad at him. I know it's going to affect our intimacy. I know it's going to affect our communication. But I don't give a rip. Because I don't want to talk to the jerk anyway. Much less let him touch me, so I don't care. So we think that our offense is going to stay right there. But it doesn't. Pretty soon, we start seeing problems in our finances. Pretty soon, we start seeing problems with our children. Pretty soon, we start seeing problems in our health, in our job. And we're looking over here at our children, and we're looking over here at our job, and we're trying to figure out what's wrong. And the problem is that. That communication, that offense has now let the enemy in. All right, now today I'm truly believing you, some dots are going to get connected for some of you. I'm going to tell a lot of illustrations. I'm going to have some points here, but I believe, you know, I'm a storyteller, and I get things through illustrations, and I believe a lot of you do too. So some of these illustrations are going to get to you because, you know what, I know that everybody in this room, I truly believe it, that you love God, that you want to serve him, and that you just are not connecting the dots. This was not originally in my notes, but I'm telling you, I have never seen except this year, so many neighbors and businesses covered with so much Halloween and demonic stuff. If I see one more of those big, huge spiders, I'm going to scream. Okay, that must be the deal this year, these huge spiders that everybody has on their house, okay? That is just gross. And I'm just going to say right now, so y'all can just get ready. I don't care how cute that boy is on those Twilight movies. That stuff is demonic. Okay? And parents, do not be an idiot 
And let your children talk you into letting them go see that Twilight junk. Because movie number two is getting ready to come out. Okay? It is nothing but demonic. It is, the, it is the demonic realm getting us so used to and thinking that that's normal. And some of you, I pray to God it didn't happen in this church, but in case it's for your neighbor. Okay? Here's some info. That new Eastwick show. Okay, basically all it is is desperate housewives with witches. Now, I haven't watched it, but I saw enough of the commercial to know, basically, it's everybody sleeping together, just like on Desperate Housewives. It's just they're all witches and warlocks and vampires. You see? And we all think, oh, that's, that's just cute. That's just... No, it's not. It's not cute. It is the enemy getting us used to and thinking nothing about the powers of darkness. And I'm telling you right now, you open the door to that, you are a fool. And some of you, parents, wouldn't let a dog in the house. You are more adamant about having a dog sleep on your couch than you are about the movies and the TV shows and the video games that you let your children watch. And I'm just telling you, when the devil's in your house, he doesn't stay in the foyer, and he doesn't stay on that little video game, and he doesn't stay on whatever that is, Monday nights at 9 o'clock on Eastwick. He walks in that door of that video, of that television, and he goes, and he gets into every corner of your house. Let us not be ignorant to the schemes of the enemy. Amen? All right. I've gone to preaching now. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, I found a very interesting verse this week. I'm, I'm sure I've read this so many times, but I found a great paraphrase. And maybe I'm just not super duper smart, which I'll agree. But I found a paraphrase that explains this verse to me. Mark 11, to, uh, I'm sorry, Mark 4, 24 and 25. And I think that I asked Jerry to put this up there. Okay. This is the paraphrase. Those who receive and assimilate truth will have their capacity for understanding enlarged and their knowledge increased. Now, I'm going to stop right there. Because my husband and I had this, this uh, discussion quite a bit at our house. It's one thing to receive truth, and it's another thing to assimilate it. He always says to me, Tracy, revelation is great. But revelation without assimilation is nothing. You understand? We've got to not only receive what I'm saying this morning, but then you've got to go out and you've got to determine you're going to assimilate this. How is this going to look like in your life? What's going to change? What's going to be different? Um, then it goes on and says, those who disbelieve or are indifferent will lose whatever ability for understanding they had and therefore will continue in ignorance. Now, some of you this morning, you're going to have three choices. You're either going to believe and assimilate. You're going to disbelieve and say, oh, she's just full of herself and big deal. I don't even think, I don't listen to anything she says. That's your choice. But this is just equally as dangerous as disbelieving is indifference. Indifference is this. How much longer is she going to talk? Because I'm getting hungry. Okay, can she, like, hurry up? Let's get to the points. Okay, give, give a couple of good stories here because I want to get out of here. That's indifference. And indifference is the same as, dis, as disbelief. You will remain ignorant, and it says not only that, but you will walk in ignorance, but you will lose all understanding that you had before. So right now, I hate to tell you, but you've got a choice to make, so right now make a choice. Count to three, one, two, three. Now make a choice. 
what you're going to do today. Because the verse right before this Mark uh, 4, 24 and 25 is verse 23. It says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We're all very familiar with that verse. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. So you have a choice this morning. All right, now let's go back. I know I keep flip-flopping back, but we're going to go back to the Mark 11, 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, so obviously that's assuming that we're all praying. Okay? <laughs> let's not all make that assumption. Faith won't work. The moving the mountain stuff won't happen if you're not praying. Point two, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Can I just say anyone and anything is a lot of area to cover? <laughs> that, that, whoa, that's kind of overwhelming. That is a lot to talk about. And as I said earlier, most people don't want to look that hard. They want to go, oh, well, that's not working in my life, so that must not be for today. Or that must be false teaching. Because I just don't see that, and I love God. So if I love God and it's not happening, it must just be that it just doesn't happen today. No. It could be that you have something against someone. Because, as I said, the moving of the mountains doesn't work until these two verses work. So what does pastor mean when he says, somebody has to ask why, why isn't it working? You know, I love Creflo Dollar. And he always says, some people say, I tried that faith stuff and it didn't work. And then he turns around and says, no, the truth is faith tried you and you wouldn't do the work. Our son Clayton stood up here a couple weeks ago and he made a very poignant statement. And when he said it, I thought, ooh, and I wrote it down. He said, salvation is free, but everything after that's work. You see, the American church doesn't like that. The American church today wants to go, grace is free, grace is free, grace is good, grace happens. Grace does happen. It happens. But it's not grace that covers your sin and lets you keep sinning. It's grace that empowers you to get up off your high knee and get to work and live for Jesus and stand up against sin and say, I will be counted with the righteous. Not, I'm going to walk along with you and I'm going to go get drunk tonight. But bless God, grace. Grace happens. Okay? Faith takes work. And at the very least... We're going to start today with introspection. So let's look at ourselves. Okay, Jerry's going to put this up here. Ways we throw open the door to the devil. Now remember, as we're going through all these, think about what you're thinking about when you're doing these things. When you're making these mistakes, which all of us have done in the past, bless God, I pray and believe that I will not do them any longer. But we're, let's think what causes us to do this. First one is we refuse to let go of hurts and wounds. Have we all been hurt and wounded? Yes, if you're older than about a month old, or at least a year old, somebody's hurt your feelings. All right? We've all been hurt and wounded. We're going to have an encounter coming up here in January. For some of you, you know, an encounter weekend will be life-changing to you. It has been to me all 22 times that I've done it. <laughs> and that is, it's our freedom weekend. It's our weekend where we get free from hurts and wounds of the past, generational curses, uh, soul ties, you name it, we get, we cut every tentacle of the devil off of us, things that we put on ourselves and some things that other people put on us. But we can walk in freedom. And we, we're, that's, January's coming, but today, 
The Lord said, we can't wait till January. We got to get some of this stuff taken care of today. So we refuse to let go of hurts and wounds. That's when we open the door to the devil. Second one, we refuse to forgive others for what they did. Forgiveness does not mean that what they did to you was okay. Forgiveness means that you're going to take it out of your hands and you're going to give that person to God and you're going to say, okay, God, you deal with it because I can't do it anymore. Okay, there's a whole lesson at Encounter on Forgiveness. I can't go into that. But when you refuse to forgive someone, you open the door to the devil. Third one, we refuse to acknowledge what we did wrong. You know the saying, it takes two to tango? Very, 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 very rarely does a disagreement happen and both parties didn't do something. Let me tell you, have any of you ever had an email sent out on you that just told lies? Or maybe somebody went to work and they got everybody off in the break room and you're sitting out there at your desk and they start telling, talking about you. And they are taking one little thing that you said and they are blowing that thing out of proportion and they're adding stuff on and, they're just, and then they're adding just ball-faced lies onto that. And you, and you feel so hopeless, you feel so, so helpless that you can't do anything. Let me tell you, Pastor and I know what that feels like. We had a really, really, really bad email sent out on us one time. I mean... Man, according to them, man, we got some money somewhere in a savings account in Geneva, Switzerland. I wish they'd give me the account number because I need some right now. <laughs> but <laughs> it is, Miss Merle, that's what I'm saying, baby. Where is it? Because I don't know. But um, anyway, when an email gets sent out on you, I remember, man, I was so offended. Man, if I could have gotten a baseball bat, mm, somebody... I'd probably be wearing an orange jumpsuit right now, and y'all, I don't look real good in orange, so that probably wouldn't have been good. But um, I remember thinking, ooh, man, mm, 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 mm. And just that quick, the Holy Spirit said to me, but is any of it true? And at first I was like, absolutely not. What do you mean? Are, are you kidding me? I have not stolen money. I have not done that. I have not done that. I cannot even believe they said that about me. And the Holy Spirit just kept saying, but is any of it true? Did you have an ugly attitude? Did you? That one little thing, Nessie, that one little statement right there, did you do that? Did you say that? And the truth is, yes, I have. And yes, you have. You don't always do everything right. And when there's a fight and there's a disagreement, and there's an offense, you probably had a little bit to do with it. And so, if you are unwilling to acknowledge what you did wrong, devil, come right on in. Next one. We refuse to stop judging others for their grievances. Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says, Judge not, lest you be judged, because with the same measure you judge, it's coming back on you. We have a whole lesson on that. I can't go into it, but I'm just telling you, judgment will boomerang back on you. How many of us can testify? Whew, it's ugly when it comes back. Next one, we refuse to admit we are envious, jealous, or self-seeking. How do you know when you're jealous? How do you know when you're envious? Okay, I'm going to take my glasses off so you can see my eyes. When somebody else at work 
walks in and they go, I got the promotion. Do you go, great. <laughs> you put on the fake smile and you try and, mm. How about when somebody's name is mentioned? That's what I always say. If somebody mentions a name and you just go, mm. something in you just kind of wants to go, mm. that's a good sign that something's wrong. There's an offense in there somewhere. Now, whether it's jealousy or envy, it might be bitterness, wrath, hatred, <laughs> one of those other ugly things. We had next-door neighbors, Ray and Dorothy Nickham in Seymour, Indiana. Dorothy Nickham and my mom were like bestest friends. They got together for coffee three times a week. They both stayed home. They got together for coffee three times a week. And, uh, and so they were, everything would be great until every year my dad was really into some new cars. So every year my dad got a new Lincoln. So my dad pulled in that driveway with that new Lincoln, and they wouldn't talk to us for a month. They were so jealous. We played together, the kids, but for that month, Lori could not come to my house because they were jealous. Now, of course, they would never admit they were jealous. It just didn't work. No, it's just not going to work. Can, I, can Lori come out and play? Oh, honey, it's just not going to work today. Baloney. Okay, do you ever say that? It's just not going to work today. You know full well. It's because you're jealous, because you're envious. You see, James 33, 16. Ooh, if you ever deal with jealousy and envy and the Lord gives you this verse, it's like a spanking but it's a good spanking. It says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. See, that verse is proof that this is true. It says, wherever self-seeking and envy exist, every evil thing are there, are right there. That's how it happens. Now, we talk about all of this as an encounter, but today I'm hoping through these illustrations that I'm getting ready to start on, you're going to connect the dots as to why the faith stuff that pastor is going to talk about in these next few weeks isn't working. Whether you like it or not, I've told everybody this on Wednesday night, whether we like it or not, he has enrolled us all in the school of faith. And for the next, what, eight weeks, we're going to be talking about faith and how it works and how it's supposed to work and how we're supposed to see freedom and how we're supposed to see health and wealth and prosperity. And I don't mean just wealth financially, but wealth in our inner being and wealth in our relationships and wealth in our, in our psyche. How is all of that going to work? Well, today I'm going to hopefully do some preventive teaching before he gets to that. If we can get this knocked out right now today, then we're going to walk in everything he's going to teach us here pretty soon. Let's get started. Now, some of these illustrations are biblical. Some of them are present day, and some of them are personal, because I am determined I will tell you whatever you need to hear to help you make these connections. Not because I'm mad at you. So if I get intense here, it's not because I'm mad at you. It's because I am mad at him. I am mad at the enemy. I am mad at how he has stolen from my life. I am 47 years old, and I haven't seen all that God has promised me. And I know a lot of it is because it is stupid offense. And I am determined that as your pastor, as your CSI investigator today, we are going to determine and, and, and uncover what he's done in your life so that you can get free as well. Okay, here we go. Pastor was talking about tithing. Everything he said is true. We tithe. Obedience mixed with expectation has results unless, unless you have offense. You see that scripture? 
faith to move mountains, cast into the sea, unless you have unforgiveness. If you look in Sparkling Gems yesterday, all those people, only people have Sparkling Gems, yesterday's devotion was exactly on that. I didn't even know it. I'm a day behind, so I read that this morning. He said, if you're tithing and it's not working, why? If you're, if you're needing finances and they're not coming through, why? You better check and see if you're offended. You better check and see if you have unforgiveness. Next illustration. Let's go back to jealousy and envy. You please, you're saying, please don't. <laughs> now, I am not trying to be flippant here, and I know this is a very, very sensitive area to some people. So please know my heart. But I want the truth to come out. Some of you have been praying for a godly mate. Some of you have been praying to get pregnant. You have wanted a baby, and it just hasn't happened. Some of you have been praying for a new job. You've been praying for promotion. You've been praying for a home. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to ask you a tough question. When somebody else comes up and says they're pregnant, do you just get mad? I know you might get disappointed, but do you get mad? Do you get jealous? You know the old saying, always the bridesmaid, never the bride? Does that just tick you off? Do you just get jealous? Can you not rejoice with someone else? I'm not saying I've never been there. Pastors have this same problem. You know what? We, here some, we go to some meeting and some pastor walks in and goes, let me tell you, woo, I got a testimony. Some guy I don't even know came in off the street and gave me a check for $300,000 and we don't even need to build nothing. Mm, mm, thank you, Jesus. Mm, mm. Okay, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to go, oh, I want to slap you. Mm. Mm. Okay, but that's not right. And let me tell you, I told him this the other day. I'm not going to, I'm going to be very, very discreet. <laughs> I know it's amazing, isn't it? God's doing work in my life. <laughs> um, so many of you have just come to this church in the last few weeks. And you are such blessings to us. I look back here at Michael and Ingrid and Angelia and James and just so many new families, Edwin, just so many new people coming in. And it's just so exciting. And the other day I was laying in bed and I was just thinking about you guys. And I was just thinking, man, this is awesome. This is awesome. Finally, Lord, it's starting to happen. Isn't this great? Faye's come back. Faye moved back home. And just all this is happening. And the Lord said, you know what? You haven't done in a long time. You haven't been jealous of other churches. And you haven't one time mentioned their name. And you haven't one time compared yourself to what their pastor's wife looks like or how she acts or what her gift is. I'm telling you people, it works. Offense is a destiny robber. But when you lay it down and you stop being jealous and you stop being envious, God will bless you. All right, next story. 2001, Pastor and I, really hard time. We had to release one of our staff members because they had unethical 
behavior in their life. Man, it was hard. It was hard because they had been some of our best friends. The past, that, the wife and I had been friends, best friends at a, at a previous church. And it was very, very difficult. And I'm telling you, when, when they left, uh, we, by counsel from our overseer, but also through the Holy Spirit, the Lord told us, you know what, do not get her involved. We want to save their marriage, and it's his, his unethical thing. It wasn't that he was in any sexual sin or anything like that. Uh, and, and so we did not tell her. We did not bring her in and say, this is what your husband's done, da 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 da, da. So when they left, of course, he didn't go home and tell her what he had done. And so she was mad at me, blamed me, said it was all my fault, wouldn't have anything to do with me. I mean, we had been best friends, y'all for like seven years, best friends, and I was offended, I mean, I, I was so mad, I was like, let me tell you something, sister, I wanted to sit her down and go, girlfriend, I could tell you some stuff that would curl your hair about your husband, oh man, I was mad, I was mad, and I thought, but I, you know, I knew I couldn't do anything about it, but man, I, I might have been faking it on the outside, but inside, I was ticked, and they left, they were still in town, but they left. And about a month later, pastor was out of town. And we got a phone call. About a week prior to this phone call, I had taken Clayton, our 16, at that time 16-year-old son, the son that preached here a few weeks ago. He was 16. I had taken him to the dermatologist. And uh, he had, you know, Accutane issues. He had some acne issues and all that kind of stuff. And while we were there, I said, could you take a, place, take a look at this place on his back? A freckle, one of the millions on his back because he's a little freckle faced. And uh, I said, Can you, don't you think there's something funny with that? And the guy goes, Oh, pfft, no. But I'll, he said, Clayton, to get your mother to shut up, I will uh, take it off. We'll biopsy it. We'll send it in. So Kevin leaves to go. We get a phone call one night at 7 30. I get a phone call. Doctor, I am so sorry, Mrs. Baird, but your son has melanoma cancer and we'll need to be doing surgery on him at 6 30 tomorrow morning. Let me tell you, I fell down on that floor of that bedroom at James Island House. And I started crying out to God. I was like, oh, God. Oh, God. I claim everything. Lord, I was claiming every verse, every healing verse. I was thinking, Jehovah Rapha, you're my healer. I was saying, Lord, by your stripes, he is healed. I was doing every spirit-filled, charismatic thing I knew to do. And just that quick, the Holy Spirit said to me, how bad do you want him healed? I said, well, Lord, he's my baby. Of course I want him healed. I, I, Lord, I would give my life, Lord, for him to be healed. And he said, and he put their face before my eye. He said, forgive them. Forgive them right now. I'm telling you, that's how it works. Some of you are wanting healing. Some of you are desperately needing healing. Healing will not come when you have unforgiveness. It blocks it. Your faith cannot work. You cannot call things into existence that be not when you've got unforgiveness. It is a block to those things. Some of you are parents in this room, and you're offended. You're offended at people at work. You're offended at other family members. You may never even have said it out loud in your home, but you are wondering where in the devil, exactly, where in the world, has what has happened to my child? They are walking in such rebellion. 
They are smarting off to me. They are doing all this stuff. And I have prayed and I have fasted and I have sought God. And I can't get them to straighten up. I have disciplined them. I have grounded them. I have done everything I know to do. And nothing's changing. How about you? Are you offended? Are you judging? Let's go to some Bible illustrations. Samson. We all know Samson. Good-looking guy with the long hair. Remember, his power was in his hair. He had taken a Nazarite vow. He also knew that he wasn't to date. <laughs> he wasn't to date. He wasn't to mingle with anyone outside of his race, right? Nazarite vow. But what ends up happening to Samson? He ends up getting his eyes gouged out, and he ends up getting killed. How does that happen? What did he do? He mingled. He mingled. And I'm going to steal that. I heard this from Jensen Franklin the other day, but I'll steal it. He said, you know what he did? All he did was he dated a Philistine girl. That's really all he did. You see? Y'all think, and I'm not pointing to any of you in particular, but you think you can date an unbeliever and it won't affect you. Teenagers, honey, Nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I think I'll just go out today and just ruin my life. Nobody does that. I don't know one girl, not one, that gets up and goes, you know what, I think I'm going to go out and get pregnant today. I think I'll just do that. No, you don't do that. Nobody goes and says, you know what, I'm going to purposely go over here to this party and get drunk, then get in my car with my best friends, and run into a tree and kill everybody. Or if I don't kill everybody, I'll kill all of them, and I'll end up going to jail for the rest of my life. I think that's a plan. Let's do that. Nobody does that. But let me tell you what they do do. They do. <laughs> they do this. My parents are so old school. My parents are so out of it. My parents are so legalistic. My mom, God, she has more rules than anybody. I can't believe this. She won't let me go anywhere. She doesn't want me to have any friends. She wants me to be this hermit stuck in my room the rest of my life. We get offended. Been there, done that. Doesn't work. But you see, you get offended. And you think, I'm going to go to this party. I know full well I'm not supposed to be here, but guess what? I'm going anyway. I dare them to catch me. Fine. Ground me. I don't give a flip. But little do you know that it's going to change your life forever. Judas. Ready for this one? Adults pay attention on this one. Judas. I know we all know how he ended and we think, ooh, yeah, Judas is a bad guy. Judas didn't start off as a bad guy. Judas started off just like Peter, James, and John. Some young guy, real sweet guy. Now, I'm not meaning that you're going to be a Judas, but good looking guy like this. Look at Alex down here. Look at these guys, girls and boys from, from uh, uh, College of Charleston. Good looking just sharp. Judas comes by and says, hey, lay down everything and follow me. Judas was just like the rest of them. You bet you, God. Man, Jesus, I'm after you, buddy. Whatever you say, I'll do it. But you know what happened? Listen, he had a gifting. Judas had a gifting. He was really good with money. He was so good that Jesus like, dude, man, you, you be the treasure. I don't want to have to think about that. I'm not good at that. I'm good at miracles and stuff, but I'm not good at that kind of stuff. And so he gives all the money to Judas. And Judas like, man, I got it. I got you covered, Jesus. You know, having to buy the food, having to get the hotels, wherever we're going to go, 
Judas is in charge. But one day, Judas's gifting turned to greed, control, and judgment. You remember the story about the lady who came with the jar, of, the alabaster jar of, of perfume? Remember? And she broke it on Jesus' feet. And then she washed his feet with her hair and all that. And the disciples were offended. And Judas was like, are you kidding me? Do you know how much that was worth? That was worth a year's wage. You know what, how much ministry we could have done with that money? But of course, oh no. It's all about Jesus. You have to be the center of attention all the time. And you think, oh yeah, that's real funny. You know what that looks like in a church? I cannot believe that they let that pastor's wife pick out that expensive carpet. That is just a waste of money. I cannot believe that they took a trip. Are you kidding me? They're going to that conference again? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They let Noah and Tyler redo that youth room again? Don't the children's ministry, doesn't Novi have enough already? Good grief. You know how many churches have split over money? You know how many people have left a church and have killed themselves over a church split? I know you don't think that happens. Yes, it does. And it's not the pastor. Because when the enemy comes in through even a gifting that you have, and you let it turn into greed and control, he'll take over and he doesn't stay in the foyer. All right, real quick, how many of you remember Jimmy Swaggart? Okay, Jimmy Swaggart, all over the newspapers. What'd he do? Messed up with a prostitute. It didn't start with messing up with a prostitute. You know how it started? He and another pastor in town were jealous of each other. The guy's name was Marvin Gorman. Marvin Gorman in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They were both jealous. You know how it is, charismatic churches. When people run over there, when they get mad at that pastor, they just run over there. Then those people get mad and they run back over there. And they got jealous of each other. And so they started saying stuff about each other. And they started kind of like leaking stuff to the press about one another. The problem was they thought that jealousy and envy and gossip and slander would stay in the foyer. It didn't stay in the foyer. It then went into their life. And they both, they both ended up falling to sexual sin and it being plastered all over the newspapers of Baton Rouge and Jimmy Swaggart all over the world. That's how those things happen. Susan Smith, 1994, Union, South Carolina. How many remember that? Some of you are too young, but let me tell you the story. It's terrible. I was working in Union, South Carolina at the time in the courthouse. Susan Smith was a young woman. I think she was about 26 years old, if I'm correct. And uh, she ended up strapping her two children, ages 3 and 18 months, into their car seats. I believe it was October of 1994. And she drove them into a lake in Union, South Carolina. And she got out of the car and let it sink and drowned them both. And you say, why would anybody do that? It's really, really a sad story. Most, maybe some of you didn't know it down here, but in, in, South Car in the Spartanburg area, it was all the rage and that was all that we people talked about. But first of all, Susan started off being sexually molested by her stepfather for many, many years. You see, Satan's not fair. When he gets in, he doesn't stay in the foyer. Then she was left by her husband for another woman. 
Then she started having an affair with a man who really wanted to break it off with her, but he didn't have the guts to just tell her, I don't like you anymore, I got you, I used you, and now I'm done with you. He didn't have the guts to say that. So he told her that I'm not interested in being a father of your children, thinking that any woman in her right mind wouldn't choose him over her children. But you see, the enemy, way back then, way back then, didn't stay in the foyer. He had now already crept into every area of her life. And that sexual sin and that perversion that she was involved in with that man had completely taken over her mind. Her conscience was seared. She had no normal common sense that any mother would have to protect her children. And she drowned them for a man who didn't even want her. She would have gotten the death penalty, but she got off, and now she lives forever in a South Carolina prison with no parole ever going to be given to her. Now I'm going to get down to one biblical illustration that's going to be real sensitive to some of you. King David. Now listen. David, when he was young, this guy's age, he was a man after God's own heart. That's true. That's true. He was. But what did David end up doing? He ended up committing adultery and murdering somebody. How does the man who wrote all the Psalms do that? You ever wonder that? How did you do that? This is what happens. It happens because in that story, now he, David did a lot of things. Remember, he was running at, being chased by Saul, and he's running all over the place. And he, he, he did so many things, right? When he could have killed Saul, he didn't kill Saul. All those things were great. But then, it's like Pastor and I often talk about, then he got fame. He finally got to the palace, and he lost his freaking mind. <laughs> Let's just say it. Because it says in 2 Samuel, in the spring of the year, at the time when kings are at battle, David remained in Jerusalem. You see? He knew what time it was. He knew it was spring. He knew kings are supposed to go out there and fight. But he's up there thinking, dog, I'm the king. I'll do what I want. I don't feel like fighting. What are they going to do? Arrest me? I'm the king. He got full of himself. Pride set in. So his first mistake is he wasn't where he was supposed to be. The second mistake, he looked where he shouldn't have looked. Now there's a whole lot of debate, and I've heard a whole lot of teachings, on whether David knew that women were out taking their baths on the rooftops at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he was stupid and didn't know. Because after all, Every other year, he had been at battle. Okay? But, but this year, because he wasn't where he's supposed to be, he didn't realize that in the springtime, they take their baths outside. Okay. So, he goes up on the rooftop, and he looks. Now, I don't know what all Pastor Manning talked about, because I know that that was private. But I do know, because I've heard this teaching before, that Tyler said he kind of mentioned on this, was about the bouncing of the eyes, guys. You can't help what's thrown out there in front of you. The first glance, whoa. But you've got to bounce your eyes. When you see it, ooh, okay, there you go. All right, all right. David didn't bounce his eyes. Okay? And David did not flee sexual immorality. 
David, instead of running from sexual immorality, David ran to sexual immorality. And the bad thing was, y'all, he, in, he involves some other people. See, he gets his, like, helpers, his servants. Hey, go over there and check out that girl who lives next door in that house. Bring me back the info on her. So he sends his people over there. They come back. Now, this is the Tracy paraphrase. I realize this isn't exactly. But if he inquired of her and he came back, what do you think the info was? She's married. Duh. Okay, you don't have to read too far between the lines to figure that one out. She's married to a guy named Uzziah who is fighting for you in battle where you're supposed to be. Okay. And David says, hmm, interesting. Okay. So it says he sent for her. And he took her. And she became pregnant. Third mistake. He did not take responsibility for his sin. He tried to cover, didn't he? Sent for her husband, bring him back, tried to get her husband to sleep with her. He's an honorable man going, man, I cannot enjoy that when I know my other buddies are out here dying. So, man, he's caught. Dogs. I'm telling you, that would make a great monk show, wouldn't it? I'm telling you. Just think about this. Think, if you read the Bible and think about making it into detective shows, man, that would so rock. We should do that. Okay, we could probably make some money off that. Okay. All right. Build the church off detective shows. Okay. Anyway. And so, he kills. He has Uzziah killed. He, becomes, he commits murder. So, number one, he wasn't where he's supposed to be. Number two, he looked where he shouldn't have looked. Number three, he didn't take responsibility. Number four, he committed murder. This is a guy, just like so many of us, who said, Lord, my heart is after you. But what happened? Pride. Pride came in. Pride. It says there where evil and self-seeking exist. Every evil thing is there. Now remember this. I'm going to put this on the, in the screen. Sin always takes you farther than you ever thought you'd go. You understand? Susan Smith thought she was having an affair. Didn't she deserve love? She's in prison for the rest of her life. Now, today we've done our detective work. Hopefully you're seeing where the enemy has gained access into your life. Hopefully you've begun to identify the points of entry. And even better than that, I hope that you're connecting the dots as to when you let this thing in, how it affects all of this over here. Now I'm going to close with two quick stories. But first I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to get ahead of myself. So if we've discovered all this, how are we going to get the perpetrator out? I'm going to tell you real quick. First of all, you have to admit that you let him in. You let him in. No blame shifting. I have found myself just recently, I'd say in the last couple of months, more and more talking to people and saying that, um, that you know, the, the uh, last days must be coming because when you stand before God, you're going to stand alone. You're not going to stand with anybody else. And so, number one, you've got to admit that you sinned. Number two, you have to admit that it, what, that's what it is. It's sin. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Offense, jealousy, envy, pride, unforgiveness, it's sin. Number three, you have to repent. 
And repentance, remember, is not saying, I'm sorry I got, I got caught. Repentance is, I was going this way, I was so mad at you, I wanted to take a baseball bat to your head. <laughs> and now I'm going to repent, and Lord, I'm going to bless that person. Lord, I don't feel like blessing them, but Lord, I'm going to bless them. I'm going to speak your blessing over them. Lord, I ask that you would change their heart. Lord, that you would make them a credible, ethical person. Lord, I realize they haven't been that to me. Lord, I realize that they've done harm to me. But Lord, I choose by an act of my will to bless them. When you do that, you close the door to the enemy. Last two stories, really quick. A couple weeks ago, Pastor and I got in a little squabble. Okay, I've been married 27 years. I know the difference between a squabble and a fight. Okay, this was a squabble. Even though, you know what he called me? He called me a big, fat baby. <laughs> Tyler was upstairs. This is so funny. Tyler was upstairs on the balcony. He goes, he goes, later, it was all over. He came down, he goes, man, I thought, ooh, daddy, you could have said the, the big baby part, but when you said fat, mm, mm, mm. He said, man, you crossed over a line right there, man. So, it was only about a 20-minute squabble, okay? It was a 20-minute squabble. We got over it. But then the next day, we're here at the office. I don't, even, I don't even know if Tyler was here for this one. Kevin's in his office. I'm out there on that little computer in the hallway there. I asked him a question. I needed some help. He was busy. He thought he answered me, but he really kind of led me down a wrong path. But I've forgiven him since then. But anyway, um, and so I, that was the day I sent out the email to everybody. Okay, Randy Folsom, who laughed at me for doing it. Okay, which I knew you would do. That's why I got upset. But anyway, um, <laughs> no blame shifting. It's my fault. Okay, um, <laughs> so I did this. I, I, I sent this email. I got, I got embarrassed. I got my feelings hurt. And buddy, it was like something rose up in me that I haven't felt in years. Man, I was mad. I mean, I was mad. I mean, I walked into his office. I was like, let me tell you something. I mean, I was mad, and he was mad. He stood up, <laughs> and I was like, rah, 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 rah. he was like, rah, rah, rah. I was like, Ugh. you know, I was just like, Wah! and then all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit came in the room, and we both like froze <laughs> for a second, and I was like, whoa, whoa, because I mean, if you ever been down one of those like seven hour fights that last until like four o'clock in the morning, ooh, you know kind of what that's gonna feel like when it starts coming. And it was like, ooh. <laughs> and I sat down and he sat down. And I said, man, somewhere we have opened a door. And he goes, yeah, you're right. And we stopped and we looked. I'm telling you. You get mad, but I'm telling you, if you really love the Holy Spirit, he will do that. He will stop you dead in your tracks if you let him. Now, at that point, we each had a decision to make. I could have said, you know what? Forget you, Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> I had some good points I was going to make. But anyway. Um, but we stopped. And you know what had happened? I had gotten offended by something that was said to me on Facebook by someone in my family. Because you know what I don't like about Facebook? It's not wired for sound. So you don't know if people are being sarcastic or cute or if they're like majorly dissing you. 
And so I thought they were like taking me down. And I got offended. So of course, being the godly woman that I am, when he came in from men's meeting that night, I let him join in the offense. Come here, look what somebody has said to me. And he was like, you are so right, baby. Now this is what, this is what we had done earlier. You see, we had opened a door two weeks earlier. Do you know how many times terrible things have happened in churches and terrible things have happened in families because people join together around an offense? They think they're doing something good by going, okay, everybody that's for this and against what they're doing, come over here. And we all unite and we think we're the godly ones. And we thought, bless God. We're, I can't believe they said that to me. And he's like, you're right, honey. And in that offense, thinking we were uniting, we had flung open the door to the devil and said, come on in, come on in, and start destroying us. That's how it happens. Last story, John the Baptist. Ready for this one? Matthew chapter 11, John's in prison. John, the man whose whole purpose for being born was to prepare ye the way of the Lord. His whole purpose for existence was to prepare the road for Jesus to come. He was there when Jesus was baptized, when the dove came down and descended on Jesus, and the voice of heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, if anybody knew who Jesus was, wasn't it John the Baptist? But guess what? It didn't happen like he thought it was going to happen. He's in jail. Probably going to get his head caught up here in a couple of seconds. And he's a little bit in a quandary. And he says to his disciples, Hey, I need you to go ask Jesus a question. Besides the fact that just earlier, those disciples had already gone up to Jesus and disciples and go, hey man, we're fasting and you guys are over here partying. What's up with that? So they were always a little offense. So John the Baptist sends his guys and his guys go over to Jesus and he says, Jesus, are you the one? Are you the real Messiah? Or are we supposed to be looking for somebody else? John needs to know. And Jesus says, and this will really mess you up about Jesus. He didn't say yes, and he didn't say no. You know what he said? You go back and you tell John, the lame, see, the lame walk and the blind see, and blessed is he who is not offended with me. John was offended. Some of you today, you're sitting here, we're getting ready to close, and everything I've said, you're like... I'm not offended at anybody. I don't have unforgiveness. I don't have none of that. I'm not lustful. I'm not, I'm not envious. I'm not jealous. I'm not anything. But are you like John? Have you served Jesus all your life and you've done everything that you were supposed to do? And life just didn't play out like you thought. And if the truth really came down to the truth, who you're offended at is Jesus. The Lord showed me this even this morning as I was preparing Paul and Silas were in jail, just like John the Baptist. But you see, John doubted, and he was offended. Paul and Silas stood in faith and praised. And the bars of that cell came flying wide open. John the Baptist got his head cut off. As great as he was, I'm telling you, God doesn't care what you were last week. He cares what you are today. You may have done exploits for Jesus like nobody's business, but are you offended today? This is how we're going to end. I want the music team to come.
I want everybody to stand. I've given you a lot to think about today, and our time is up. Just give us some background music. Holy Spirit, right now, we just ask that, Lord, you would help us to see the perpetrators that are entered in. Lord, help us to connect the dots this morning. Lord, we need to make a difference in this world, but, Lord, we can't do it. We are hamstrung. Our faith, our anointing, our giftings are hamstrung because we have unforgiveness, because we have resentment. We have, we have lust, we have envy, we have jealousy in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit right now is saying to me, Somebody in this room, you're being hamstrung because the person you haven't forgiven is you. Jesus has forgiven you. It's over. It's under the blood. It's as far as the east is from the west. He's removed your sin and transgression from you. The person you have to forgive is you. So this morning, I'm opening up these altars. And if you want to make sure that today you get that door closed... I want you to come forward. And as you're coming, as you're coming, I want you to know something. And this is that prophetic thing in me coming out again. An altar is not a place to come and cry. Now, do I cry every time I come to the altar? Yes. But a, an altar is not a place to come and cry and shed a few tears and feel better. There's a song that I used to sing back in the 1980s, and it said, I'm so tired of being stirred, but not being changed. I have been stirred about my sin. I have been stirred about my jealousy. I've been stirred about my unforgiveness. I've shed some tears. I've done all that. I want the door shut. I'm tired. I want to go on. And some of you, you want your husbands. You want your children saved. You want your babies you want all those things that God says in his word are for you. You want your jobs. You want your destiny. And everything that he has for you is available. But thank God today you're seeing that it's got to be taken care of. And then that perpetrator has got to be kicked out of your house once and for all. Once and for all. So we're not crying down here and just, and just feeling better. If you're going to cry, then bless God, do business. Back in the old ways we used to grow up, they'd say, you pray till you pray through. That means you pray until you know that you know that you know that you know that that thing inside of you is dead. That it is gone. That you mean business this time. So you know what? There are many a time on a Sunday morning that I stayed at that altar and everybody else went to lunch. How bad do you want the devil out of your house? And there's people in here this morning that you may need to accept Christ. Well, let me tell you what. You come on down because this prayer will work for you too. Because the first thing we're going to do right now, I want you to repeat after me. And then after you pray this prayer with me, I'm not going to, they're going to sing some song. And you're going to pray for yourself. And if that means you need to get on your knees, I'm not going to tell you how to pray. But whatever you have to do to mean business, repeat after me. But then that ain't getting it done. You get to God yourself and get it done. You understand? That's what's wrong with charismatics. We pray a little prayer and we walk out the door and we're not changed. It's time to get back to some holiness and to the way that, bless God, some badness even used to pray. And that's get down on your knees and mean business. 
Okay, repeat after me. I admit right now that I open the door. I will not blame my husband, my wife, my children. It's me. I did it. And I admit that it's sin. Jealousy, envy, hatred, bitterness, self-seeking, pride, it's sin. And now, by an act of my will, I choose to repent. I will turn and I will walk the opposite way. I will bless. I will pray for them. Don't repeat after me, but some of you need to give somebody a baby shower. You've wanted that baby and you've been mad that they got one. You need to give them the baby shower. Some of you need to give a bridal shower. Some of you need to send a congratulatory note to somebody who got that promotion that you wanted. You need to send bless your new home to the person who got the house that you wanted. Lord, I repent and I turn. And now I close the door. And Lord, I will keep it shut. I will not talk about it. I will not go there. I will not look at that television show. I throw away those games. Lord, I thank you, Lord. As I get ready, as they go into prayer themselves, Lord, you're going to speak to them specifically about what they need to do to get that door shut. Lord, I can't come up with every scenario. That's why they've got to dig in right now. Dig in in prayer right now. Show us our sin, Lord. Make it clear. Don't let us miss it. Don't let us miss it. You know, on those crime shows, they always have a box of evidence. And it always has the name of the person that was killed on the side of the box. And it has a date that the crime was committed. Today, we need to get a date on a box that says October the 25th, 2009. I close the door to the devil. You understand, today we got to do that. I want you to sing, Laura. Come on, pray through. Only you can pray. 